A Book of Sorrow Chapter 3 Verse 0 Hive Let us speak of the terrible beauty of becoming ourselves. In the beginning, we rode hollow moons from star to star. Oryx said, Become as numerous and fertile as seeds in rich flesh. And thus we did become numerous. Saivu Arath said, Become as hungry and defiant as tumors in rich flesh. And thus we became cancerous. Zavathun said, Drink of the poisons of the worm, so that you might feed on death. And feed we did. This was preparation for our crusade. Aya, we were thus becoming. A mother wizard gets fertility from a mate, or from herself. From the wizard the spawn, from the spawn our thrall, from the survivors our acolytes who contend. If they contend well, their worm is fed, and from the well-fed worm come knights and wizards and princes. This is us, and our purpose is liberation. Our great task is the worship and admiration of freedom. Our great hunger is to pursue and eat that which is not free, and to liberate it with devouring. Ayat, this is us, we the hive. Chapter 3, Verse 1, An Incision Saith Oryx, my siblings, our children are scattered across many moons, and we live in the cold dark between suns. What will we eat? How will we speak? Zavathun said, Oryx, my brother and king, I have studied the wounds cut by the worm our god. Also, I have studied the manner of your death and return. These two things are the same, for they are predicated on death and the passage through cut spaces. Let us practice the sword logic until we are sharp. We may then cut our own wounds and step through. But Zaivu Arath said, Sister, I am already sharp. Look, my sword cuts into another space. And she cut her way between moons through green fire and joyous screams. Three kingdoms grew swollen in the sword space. They were the gaze and glory of Oryx the cunning and knowledge of Savathun, the triumph and brawn of Zaivuarath. These kingdoms were created from the minds and worms of our lords. They were coterminous with all spaces consecrated by our hive. Through these spaces passed speech and food, and all the moons were bound close. Saith Oryx, this is where I went when I died. Let us establish our thrones here, for I am Oryx, 
the first navigator, and I shall chart death. And my throne shall be carved of osmium. Chapter 3, verse 2, The High War Now in this time of Diaspora, there was a war between Oryx and Savathun and Zivuarath. Brother Oryx, said Savathun, do not forgive my betrayal. Instead, take vengeance upon me for what I did at the dry moon. And Oryx made war on her in worship of the deep. Between them stood Zivuarath, saying, Stop, or I will kill you. War is mine, and I am strongest. This was how they worshipped. For twenty thousand years they fought across the moons, and they fought in the abyssal plains and lightning palaces of each other's sword spaces. And they killed each other again and again, so that they could practice death. Such was their love. At last the many moons came to many worlds, and it was time to go to war on life. Oryx said, I shall establish a court, and whoever comes into this court may challenge me. My court will be the high war. It will be a killing ground and a school of the sword logic we have learned from our gods. Zavathun thought this was a great idea. She made a court called the High Coven. Zivuarath said, The world is my court, wherever there is war. Chapter 3, Verse 3 Fire Without Fuel I killed my sister today. She came to this star to oversee the extermination of all life here. The Kwagu are a strong power, and their fleets protect four nearby stars. As herd animals, they are loyal and stubborn, but they do show grace. For millions of years of evolution, the Kwagu have been infected by a virus so insidious that it wrote itself into their genome. The virus compels them to offer their limbs for amputation by enormous sessile jaw beasts. They venerate these beasts and treat them as gods. The virus converts quagu cells into eggs, from which strange crawling things pupate to live within the jaw beast gut. In turn, the jaw beast extrudes sweet nectar for the quagu to drink, and they have brilliant visions. Savathun and her broods have liberated the quagu from jaw beasts, and indeed from existence. But as they chased the quagu arc ships, I stopped in to vaporize my sister's warship and a few of her underlings. I want to dwell on the runes a while and punish Savathun for failing to guard her flank. They are like us, these Quagu, bound in symbiosis. I feel joy 
and sorrow. I feel them as titanic things, because I am larger than my body. My mind is now a cosmos of its own. I know more joy and more anguish than the entire Kwogu race could ever experience. Sorrow because we have killed so much. Eighteen species this century alone. And joy for the same reason. Joy that we have put down these blights, scoured them away, and left the universe clean ready to move towards its final shape. We are a wind of progress, ripping parasites from the material world, for if they were not parasites, we would be unable to kill them, and they would still exist. And what is that final shape? It is a fire without fuel, burning forever, Killing death, asking a question that is its own answer, entirely itself. That is what we must become. My worm grows fat and hungry. I feed it with whole worlds. My astronomers tell me they can sense the deep itself, and that we are conquering our way towards it. I think joy and sorrow will be the same thing soon, like love and death. Chapter 3, verse 4, The Scream No, Zavathun, Zaivuarath, my siblings, we are betrayed. We will never live eternal. Our might shatters entire species. We inhale the smoke of their burning. This is our compact with the worm, our god. The worm makes us mighty. But as we wield this might, our worm's hunger expands. If we fail to feed it, it will devour us from within. We have exterminated 306 worlds and now I am certain. My worm's hunger grows faster than the might I draw from it. We are bound by our covenant to obey our nature, eternal search, eternal cunning, eternal conquest. But as we do this, my siblings, we feed our worms. And the more we feed them, the hungrier they grow, faster and faster. Soon, my siblings, we will be so mighty and our worms so hungry that not with all our might could we possibly feed them, and we will be devoured. What can we do? Chapter 3, verse 5 Dictata er Dakawa. Attention. Perimeter security units attend. Stand by to assimilate new imperatives. 
gland 60 proof assimilation liquor or face immediate non-compliance taxation. The Dakawa Ministry of War is now online and true. In radial year 989, Groove 3, our clients in the Dakawa Nest salvaged an interstellar spacecraft. Whole isotopes date the craft's construction 24,000 years ago. Around the same time, the fundament system dropped out of contact with our amiable ecumene. Mercenary explorers discovered an organism frozen in stasis deep within the hole. She claims to be Teox, member of a proto-hive species. During debriefing, she provided records of the fall of Ammonite civilization and vital intelligence about the motives, biology, and leadership of the hive. Over the past century, perimeter security units of the Ecumene Status Army have failed to halt hive incursions on 17 separate worlds. All species in the Ecumene face extinction. Decapitate, defer, promote Dakawa strategic dicta for victory against the hive. Identity Supreme Hive Leadership Organisms, Orash, Zathona, and Zyro. Target these entities with maximum theater overkill. Prosecute targets whenever they manifest. Hive cohesion will crumble. Total victory over the hive will be achieved by clean-swept genocide. Chapter 3, Verse 6 Star by Star by Star Beneath a green fire sky, in the throne world of King Oryx, our lords embrace. We the Hive watch as Savathun puts her arms around Zyvuarath, and Zyvuarath claps forearms with Oryx, and Oryx takes Savathun by the shoulder. They are huge, huge, and they burn with furious power. But this embrace is weakness, and we despise it. Never before have we despised our lords. Have they failed us? We the Hive have been driven back, world by world. I am at my end, Zavathun says. I plot and plan, but I cannot gather enough bloodshed to feed my worm. And the harder I try, the hungrier it becomes. I slaughter and kill, Zyvuarath says, but the harder I fight, the more my worm demands. I too am at my end. The Ecumene war angels have killed me so many times, Oryx says, that I dare not go out into the universe, lest I need my might to protect myself. My worm chews at my soul in hunger. 
Is this the end of our crusade? Are we the hive unworthy to exist? Zaivuarath puts down her great head. We should retire and gather our strength. Zavathun closes her eyes in puzzled defeat. We should beg the worm our god to tell us what to do. But King Oryx, who knows best the beauty of the final shape, roars at them. Have you learned nothing? Would you deny our purpose? Whatever we do, we will do it by killing, by an act of war and might. That is the final arbiter we serve, that violent arbiter, and if we turn away from it, we deserve to be eaten. No, we must obey our natures. We must be long-sighted and cunning and strong. We must take this gift the worm our god has given us, this challenge, and find a way to keep existing. How will we feed our worms? Zyvuarath asks. I know, says cunning Zavathun. I know a way, but it won't work unless we are killing the Ecumene by the billions. How can we beat them? If we cannot beat their strengths, says Zaivuarath, we must infect their weaknesses. But they are lords of matter and physical law. I know a way, King Oryx says, but it will require great power. More power than any one of us can claim. Then kill me, says Zaivuarath, and use that killing logic power you prove by killing something as mighty as me. So King Oryx took up his blade and beheaded Zaivuarath. And strangle me, says Zavathun, holding a blade behind her back. Use that killing logic, the cunning you prove by killing something as smart as me. But King Oryx turned with the speed and might of Zaivuarath and beheaded Savathun before she could move. King Oryx was the first navigator, with the map of death. These were true deaths, for they happened in the sword world. Then he went to the worm named Akka. Chapter 3, verse 7, Eat the Sky Emergency imperative. All militarized units attend. Gland 120 proof fight or flight, encoding or face certain catastrophic defeat. The Ecumeni Crisis Council is now online and true. Attention. As of Radial 990 Groove Zero, the Hive has launched a staggering counterattack across the spinward frontier. Perimeter, militia, and shock fleet troops report total casualties. We anticipate total ecumene disintegration slash extinction within 220 years. The hive entity, Oryx slash Orash, 
is deploying a paracausal ontopathogenic weapon that infects and subverts ecumene forces. The weapon operates on individual targets. Targets are abducted and returned as compliant hive slaves with inexplicable and physically illegal abilities. All ecumene clients should immediately devote all economic and cognitive resources to a countermeasure. Fight hard. We stop the hive here or see our galaxy devoured. Chapter 3, Verse 8 King of Shapes This is the coronation of Oryx, the Taken King. It happened thus. In the cold abyss of the sword world, King Orash walked under a cloak of green fire. He walked through the sky, and the sky shuddered and froze beneath his feet. He walked until he found Akka, the Worm of Secrets, who was denying a truth until it became a lie. Akka, my god, Worm of Secrets, I am Oryx, sole king of the hive. I have come to receive a secret. I want the secret power of the deep which you hold. I give no secrets, said Akka, whose voice was code. No, said Oryx, you give nothing. Giving is for the sky. You worship the deep, which asks that we take what we need. Akka said nothing, because if it denied this truth, the truth might become false. But you gave us your larvae, the worm, said Oryx, and that is why the worm devours us now, because it was given, not taken. So I must take what I need from you, although you are my god, said Akka. You have not the strength. But this was a lie. Oryx had killed Zavathun, his sibling, and Zyvuarath, his sibling, and he had the sword logic of killing them. Oryx, the first navigator, set upon his god with his sword and his words, and cut Akka to pieces, and took from those pieces the secret of calling upon the deep. He wrote this secret on a set of tablets, which he called the Tablets of Ruin, and he wore them about his waist. Then Oryx said, Now I may speak to the deep, the beautiful final shape. I will be the king of shapes. I will learn all the secrets of our destiny. His speech to the deep is not recorded here, but it is known that he returned and he said, Now I am Oryx, the Taken King, and I have the power to take life 
and make it my own. Then he went out into the universe and fought the ecumene with his tablets, and the worm his god was pleased. Chapter 3, verse 9 Carved in Ruin Oryx made war on the Ecumene for a hundred years. At the end of those hundred years, he killed the Ecumene council on the fractal wreath, and from their blood rose Zyvurath, saying, I am war, and you have conjured me back with war. Oryx was glad, for he loved Zyvurath. The Ecumene wailed in grief. Then Oryx and Zyvurath made war on the Ecumene for forty years. At the end of those forty years, Oryx said to the Dakawa Nest, Listen, I am jealous of my sibling Zyvurath. Help me kill her. And in desperation, they agreed. But he drove the Dakawa Nest into a trap, and they were made extinct. From their ashes rose cunning Savathun, saying, I am trickery, and you have conjured me back with trickery. Oryx was glad, for he loved Savathun. The Ecumene fled into the void. Then they made war on the Ecumene for a thousand years, and exterminated them so wholly that nowhere except in this book are they remembered. This book and the mind of Teox, who was not found. And Zavathun said, King Oryx, how will we feed our worms? Did you use my plan? Oryx told the hive, I am the taken king, and here is my law. You thrall, each of you will claw and scream and kill what you can. Take enough killing to feed your worm, and a little more to grow. Tithe the rest to the acolyte who commands you. You acolytes, lead your thrall into battle. Take enough killing to feed your worm, and a little more to grow. And take the tithe of the thrall you lead. Then tithe the remainder to the knight or wizard who commands you. Thus you pay tribute. You knights and wizards, lead your followers into battle. Take enough devastation to feed your worm, and a little more to grow. And take the tithe of your followers. Then take another portion, as much as you dare, and use it for your own purposes. But if it is too much, your peers will kill you and take it. Then tithe the remainder to the ascendant you serve. An ascendant will be those among the hive who gather enough tribute to enter the nether world. They will pay a tithe to those above them. And thus the tribute will flow up the chain so that Savathun and Zyvuarath and myself will be fed by a great river of tribute. 
and we will use that excess to feed our gods and to study the deep. Thus, all worms will be fed as long as we continue our crusade. This is my law. I carve it thus in ruin. I at. Chapter 4, verse 0. A Golden Amputation Wrath Behold the wrath of Oryx, coiled for ten thousand years. Behold the golden amputation, the fall of Tashibeth, the end of an age. We beat the worlds of Tashibeth like skull drums, and we howl in joy for our black war moons as they ram silver orbitals and gleaming star webs, where infant Tashibethi sun ravens curl and die unborn. In his throne world, Oryx paces ten times. On the first pace, Craghor sends the accursed to blight the Tashibethi worlds. On the second pace, the Tai unleash their battle plates and arsenal ships to fight our moons. On the third pace, Oryx's war priest meets them in battle, and he is victorious. He paints the void with fire, he salts the earth with ash. On the fourth pace, Mingor and Cradug Diadnites go to the Raven Bridge, and they stand on it and kill the Tai for ten years. On the fifth pace, the Tai Emperor Raven comes home from her bridge and she cuts a moon with her talons. She cuts it open and kills its brood. On the sixth pace, Oryx speaks, saying, Listen to me, Emperor Raven, and I will describe to you the last true shape, which is written on my tablet. And he puts out his fist, full of black fire, and he swallows up the Emperor Raven with a wound, Ayat, only Oryx knows this power, the power to take. On the seventh pace, the perfect raven comes out of Oryx's wound, and she spreads her wings across Tashibeth. Never again is a Tashibethi child born. She is perfect. She enacts the will of Oryx. On the eighth pace, the Thai say, listen, you are spoilers, you are sphincters and excreta, you rot, why do you kill? We made silver orbitals and golden star webs, we hatched eggs, we had a good thing, our clothes were nice, our food was famous, with one of her feathers our emperor could have tickled the gods. On the ninth pace, Oryx says, This is the only god, this ability to dictate what will and will not exist, this power to go on existing. This is your god. It is never ticklish. On the tenth pace, the Tashibethi are extinct. Then Oryx says, Listen, my siblings. 
Do you know what we have done? We have conquered our way to the edge of the deep. It whispers to me when I call on it, and it guides my flight. It says that we are at its threshold, and that we should come inside. I will go and speak to it. Chapter 4, Verse 1 Battle Made Waves Oryx went down into his throne world. He went out into the abyss, and with each step he read one of his tablets, so that they became like stones beneath his feet. He went out and he created an altar, and he prepared an unborn ogre. He called on the deep, saying, I can see you in the sky. You are the waves, which are battles, and the battles are the waves. Come into this vessel I have prepared for you. And it arrived, the deep itself. Chapter 4, Verse 2 Majestic, Majestic Oryx, my king, my friend, kick back, relax, shrug off that armor, set down that blade, roll your burdened shoulders and let down your guard. This is a place of life, a place of peace. Out in the world, we ask a simple, true question. A question like, can I kill you? Can I rip your world apart? Tell me the truth, for if I don't ask, someone will ask it of me. And they call us evil. Evil. Evil means socially maladaptive. We are adaptiveness itself. Ah, Oryx, how do we explain it to them? The world is not built on the laws they love, not on friendship, but on mutual interest, not on peace, but on victory by any means. The universe is run by extinction, by extermination, by gamma-ray bursts burning up a thousand garden worlds, by howling singularities eating up infant suns. And if life is to live, if anything is to survive through the end of all things, it will not live by the smile, but by the sword, not in a soft place, but in a hard hell, not in the rotting bog of artificial paradise, but in the cold, hard, self-verifying truth of that one ultimate arbiter, the only judge, the power that its own metric and its own source, existence at any cost. Strip away the lies and truces and delaying tactics they call civilization. And this is what remains this beautiful shape. The fate of everything is made like this, in the collision, the test of one praxis against another, 
This is how the world changes. One way meets a second way, and they discharge their weapons. They exchange their words and markets. They contest, and in doing so, they petition each other for the right to go on being something instead of nothing. This is the universe figuring out what it should be in the end. And it is majestic. Majestic. It is the only thing that can be true in and of itself. And it is what I am. Chapter 4, Verse 3 When Do Monsters Have Dreams? I'm walking down the road. I'm going to the orrery to talk to my dad. And I hear... Well, I hear this noise, so I look back. And my sisters are behind me. And they're ripping up the road. They've got these huge swords. Execution swords. And they're levering the stones out of the road. The stones are covered in writing. They're like tablets. And there's dirt underneath full of worms. I need to get to the orrery before they catch up to me. So I start running. But right away, someone trips me. It's my dad. He's got his foot out. And he grabs me by the horns. And just slams me down on my face. I'm in so much pain, I nearly throw up a worm. Why weren't you ready for this, Dad says. He's wearing glare goggles, those shiny goggles that he'd used to save his vision during lightning storms or sea fire. All three of his eyes reflect me. Didn't you know they'd be jealous? Because they couldn't come to the orrery and talk to me? Didn't you know they'd move against you? I start wailing like I'm two days old again, and I say, Dad, I thought you were my friend. I'm supposed to be safe here. But he just puts out his fist, and I realize he's laughing at me for believing him. Why did I think I'd be safe? In his fist, he's got a black sun and he holds me by the throat and goes to tip the black sun inside me. I can see my jaws in his goggles, three reflections of my jaws with so many teeth. So I start eating my dad. I bite huge pieces out of him, and I claw him up. I eat his legs, and I eat his arms, and I eat his goggles and his eyes, and he says, good. Good. This is majestic and true. But my sisters are still tearing up the road, so I don't know how to get back. Chapter 4, Verse 4 More Beautiful to Know Sometimes I wonder if I'm a nihilist. I don't do much except break things. That's what they say about me. We could have had a great civilization if it weren't for that damn oryx, that damn hive. They don't believe in anything but death 
The only way to make something good is to make something that can't be broken. And the only way to do that is to try to break everything. I'm glad I learned that the universe runs on death. It's more beautiful to know. But I'm lost somewhere strange. I think that Savathun and Zyvuarath are trying to steal the tablets from me. They must have cut off my tribute while I was away communing with the deep. I love them so dearly. No one else is clever or strong enough to try to break me. No one else can give me this gift. Once, long ago, I killed Zyvu Arath on her war moon, and she blew up the whole moon to kill me with her. She was laughing in joy. I laughed too. A whole moon. A whole moon. It was a waste of a moon, but it taught me how to save myself from exploding worlds, which was necessary to fight the Ecumene. I love mighty Zyvu more than a moon loves the tide. I'll kill her for this. Over and over. Forever and ever. When I get home from my wanderings in the deep and I take back my throne, I'm going to have children. That's what I need. Sons and daughters to love and kill. Chapter 4, verse 5. This love is war. Zyvu upon Oryx, uttered by Zyvu Arath, sibling of Oryx. Betrayal. We have marooned Oryx within the deep. This is our obligation as lords of the hive, to make war upon each other to eradicate weakness and make ourselves sharp. Obligations Once I permitted Oryx to kill me so that he could gain the sword logic and overcome Akka, our god. This left me trapped deep in my throne. But Oryx, my brother, made war upon the Ecumene, and in that war he described me, for I too am war. Thus I was resurrected. Resurrection. Zavathun and I conspired to strand Oryx on his expedition, but I secretly believe that I will be stronger with Oryx to war against. Thus I describe him. A description of Oryx. When Oryx looks upon you, you feel that you may vanish if he looks away. The crest of Oryx's skull is as long as an arm. In the course of its life, a thought moves from one end to the other. Upon his crest, I have painted a line in my blood, so that he will remember me. Each of Oryx's fangs has the precision of a finger and the acuity of an eye. Although he was born at the bottom of the universe and taught to burrow, Oryx has grown wings. The light of wildfire shines through them. Oryx teaches, but he will not be taught. Oryx's body is corded with strength. 
His sinews and his muscles are strong as his children, and his children are the strength of him. Oryx wears a raiment of warm silk made from the call of gods. The voice of Oryx may cause two different numbers to become equal. Oryx, my brother, is the bravest thing I know. Upon fundament, he learned that we were the natural prey of the universe, the most frail and desperate of things. He thought about this carefully, and he found a way to fix it. He made us strong. He will lead us into eternity. Oryx, my brother, loves me. In this love is war. Chapter 4, Verse 6, Eater of Hope You are Crota, my son. Welcome. I fought my way out of hell to make you. I fought my traitor siblings, and I fought the swarming corpse of Akka, and I cut my way back into my own court, the high war which had been usurped. Once I had made war on Savathun, and crippled her tribute so that she could never challenge me, and once I had tricked Zyvua Wrath and poisoned her tribute so that she could never again try to take my tablets, and once I had arranged my own lineage so that I would be the greatest among the hive and secure on my throne, then I found a mother to make spawn. One of those spawn was you. Your life will be a battle too. You will have to win your place at the high war. I will give you nothing except this your first sword, and this name I have prepared for you. We fight a war against false hope, Crota. We chase a god called the Traveler, a huckster god who baits young life into building houses for it. These houses are unsafe, for they cannot stand against my hive and these houses are a trap, for they lead young life away from the blade and the tooth, which are the tools of survival and the means of ascension. Only when the traveler is extinguished will the universe be free to arrange itself and assume by ruthless contest its final perfect shape, a shape which depends on nothing but itself. Thus I name you Crota, Eater of Hope. There is an oath upon me, Crota, my son, an oath against the wretched Taox. This I do not give to you. It is for me, your father, to bear. Let's go meet your uncles and aunts. Chapter 4 Verse 7 Shapes Points Look at you. Already you are grown. My daughter, already you are a wizard. Have I been away so long? 
Now you are Ur Anak, and Savathun cackles and rages at your brilliance. You have written eleven axioms describing the ascendant places, our throne world. You have announced that you will kill one of these axioms, as Aka would kill the truth. And in mantling Aka, you will become a god as I am. If you try it, I may kill you, or I may applaud. Well done. I brought you this bitter acid for your celebrations. And you, Ur-Halak, you are a wizard too, as is the way of twins. I have been with Zaivu Arath, who complains that you have made a song and sung it in her throne world, and killed everyone who listened quite irrevocably. Will we have songs instead of swords and boomers? What have you made for me? It is a tooth shaped like death. I will keep it in my mouth. What have you written for me? It is the course of the Nisha thought ship. I will track it down. I made you by cutting one larvae in half. It would not die. Each half grew into one of you. My sword is named Willbreaker, but it never broke you. Chapter 4, Verse 8 The Partition of Death One day, Oryx decided to grow new wings. While he wrestled with his worm, he came upon his twin daughters dying in a wound between places. What are you doing, my daughters, he asked. He was afraid that Ur-Halak and Ur-Anuk were trying to go into the deep, where only the Tablets of Ruin allowed Oryx to go. We are dying, father, they said, as many times as we can manage. That's adorably precious, Oryx shook out his new wings. But why? We propose a method by which ascendant souls can be detached and integrated into a tautological and autonomous thantanosphere, which we tentatively term an oversoul. Oversouls can be stored in a throne world as a mechanism of enhanced death resilience. As a side effect, new refinements to our death song may be achieved moving us closer to a generally effective paracausal death impulse. Oryx brandished his sword. Speak the royal tongue, or I'll pin you up for ire to eat. If we can separate our deaths from ourselves and hide them, we will be hard to kill. Oryx went to his son Crota. Go keep an eye on your sisters, he said. You can learn cunning from them. But while Oryx traveled to observe the deep, destroying ancient fortress world, Crota conspired with his sisters to learn their secrets. I too will experiment with a wound, he said. With his sword, Crota cut open a new wound, 
into a new space. In here he thought he might obtain a secret power. Out of this wound came machines called Vex. They invaded Oryx's throne world. Chapter 4, verse 9 Open your eye, go into it. The Vex clattered around, constructing large problems. At first their constructions were deranged, because they didn't understand the sword logic which defined all rules in Oryx's throne world. The geometry perplexed them. I'll cut them apart, Crota said. But just then, the Vex ritual of better thoughts manifested a mind called Quiria, Blade Transform. Quiria deduced the sword logic. I have to kill everything, Quiria resolved. Then I will be powerful. Crota's gate began to emit warrior Vex, huge and brassy. He leapt forward to fight them, but they blinked away. After they fled from Crota, they killed 2,000 of Oryx's acolytes and 10,000 of his thrall. Soon they had established themselves as power in this world by right of slaughter. Come forth, sister wizards, called Ur-Halak. We need you. Ur-Hanuk pulled a sword star out of the sky. Together the wizards charged it with killing power and made an annihilator totem, which they used to smash the Vex. Close the wound, brother Crota, Anuk ordered. We will find a cunning way to destroy them, but only after they stop constructing problems on us. But Quiria had instanced herself to the other side of the gate and built a holdfast to keep the way open. Quiria's objective was to exploit the paracausal physics of Oryx's throne to become divine. It organized a series of test invasions. For a hundred years of local time, the siblings fought the Vex. When the Vex came into the sword world, they were inevitably annihilated. But when the hive went into the Vex world, they too lost much of their power to win. Father's going to eat our souls, Halak sighed. Quiria captured some worm larvae and began experimenting with them. Soon, Quiria, blade transformed, manifested religious tactics. By directing worship at the worms, Quiria learned it could alter reality with mild ontopathogenic effects. Being an efficient machine, Quiria manufactured a priesthood and ordered all its subminds to believe in worship. Then it set about abducting and killing dangerous organisms so it could bootstrap itself to hive godhood. For some vex reason, Quiria never attempted to introduce worm larvae into its mind fluid. Savathun was laughing because she had tricked Crota into cutting that place. This drew the attention of the worm our god, Oryx, called Ear. Set your house in order. 
chapter 4, verse 10. An emperor for all outcomes. Oryx rushed home and read from the tablets of ruin. He put some of the vex into wounds to be taken by the power of the deep. Thus he turned the vex against each other. Quiria manifested a range of tactics, but none of them were adaptive. Oryx crushed all the vex in his throne. Oryx thought that he should study geometry like the vex. It was the map of perfect shapes. But first he had to punish imperfection. My son, he said, this is your punishment. Come home glorious or die forgotten. He picked up Crota by the legs and threw him into the Vex gate network. Crota battled through history, becoming a legendary demon. In his early centuries, he often spared a few victims to hear oaths and protests against his father. Later, he came to understand Oryx, and he made temples and monuments wherever he went. Meanwhile, Oryx brooded on the Vex. I've met a worthy rival, he said. They want to exist forever, just as I do, but I do not understand them. At this, his worm began to chew on him, for he was bound to understand. He called Savathun to meet in the material world. She told him that the Vex worked tirelessly to understand everything, so that they could build a victory condition for every possible end state of the universe. Then I must be a better king, Oryx said. If they want to build an emperor for all outcomes, then I will be the king of the only one. I will follow the deep wherever it goes and document its power. Let us create a catalog of the grave worlds, which will be our victory map. Oryx knew that all life could be described as cellular automata except for a life that which understood the deep or the sky, and thus escaped causality. Out of love for her brother, which was the same as the desire to kill him, Zaphathun leaked a secret to Zaivu Arath. Listen, Zaivu, Oryx's throne world has been compromised. You can cut your way in from here. Zaivu Arath used this to plan an ambush. But Oryx was too canny. The Taken King said to his court, the High War, My throne world is vulnerable. I am going to move it. Where? asked Kagor, world render. Into a mighty dreadnought, said Oryx. I shall keep my glorious mind cosmos inside a titanic warship. Chapter 4, verse 11. Dreadnought. To make his ship, Oryx scrimshawed one piece of a ka, 
who was dead but far from gone. He stole the hammer of Zivuarath and the scalpel of Zavathun, and he armored his ship in baneful armor. When Oryx had built his dreadnought, he pushed his throne world inside out, so that it bled into the material space of the dreadnought. They were coterminous and allied, his ship and his sin. The dreadnought was within the throne of Oryx, but the throne of Oryx was the dreadnought, Iant. This required a verse from the Tablets of Ruin. The whole court worked together to push Oryx's throne inside out. This was a day of joyous violence, and all of Oryx's broods marked this holiday as Eversian Day, which is celebrated by turning things inside out. Saith Oryx, go out into the universe, my court, gather tribute for me. Send it home to my ship. When I call you, walk up that tribute to my court. I will prepare long voyages. I am Zavathun Insidious. Into the war, I graffiti this notice for you. Into the deep, these books are full of lies. Now Oryx's throne was safe from incursion because it moved so nimbly. Oryx attacked the harmonious flotilla Invincible, who guarded the Nisha Thoughtship. When the flotilla surrounded his dreadnought, Oryx put his sword into the hole, and he used the power of the deep and the clever systems his daughters built to push his throne world out into mere reality. By wrath and confidence, he filled space with an egg of his throne. It swelled up like a ghost star to smash the harmonious flotilla invincible. Oryx broke the last word off their name. In the Nisha Thoughtship, Oryx hoped to find the location of the gift mast which had been left behind by the traveler. Oryx wanted to eat it. But the thought ship was a trap. Upon it was Quiria, Blade Transform. Chapter 5, Verse 0 I am going to kill you. I am going to salt my meat with your briny little thoughts. I am going to cook your flesh on your broken molten hull. This ship is my throne. You want to take it from me. You want to fill it up with your own spawn and use it for your abstract purposes. But I will defy you. You will never be what I am. Simulate me, wretch. Calculate the permutations of my divinity. Compute the death in the shape of my throne. Render my shadow on the stone of ten thousand graveyard worlds. It will never be enough. I hold the tablets of ruin. I speak to the deep. 
Not with a galaxy of thinking matter could you encompass me. Behold. Chapter 5, Verse 1 End of a Failed Timeline By now, Quiria knows it can't win. There's something pathological about the world inside Oryx's ship. It resists analysis with hot, dead spite. And to Oryx himself, he's irreducible. He refuses to obey Quiria's simulations. He crashes around sowing chaos. He grabs submines and compromises them with some kind of ontological weapon. Paracausal systems. Very problematic. Quiria's trying the religious tactics it evolved in the Hive Manifold. But even on those terms, Oryx is strong. So strong. Quiria won't be able to protect its gates much longer. The closest Quiria's got to a simulation of Oryx is a best-guess bootstrap. It's wrong. Quiria's sure of that. It's Oryx minus the symbiote organism, minus the wings and morphs, minus the weapon, minus the power. No good for anything. Quiria manifests that simulation anyway, just to see what happens. The Taken King marches on Quiria's Hydra Hole, armed with blade and magic, cloaked in ancient cloth, and the universe wails in horror around him. Quiria's physics models and toy worlds choke and crash. Quiria observes, alert and attentive, as a single quark splits on the tip of Oryx's sword. From within the hydra hole, Quiria's tiny, not Oryx, speaks. What are you? It says, its manifesting terror and awe. Oryx's eyes blaze with a curiosity that is entirely isomorphic with hate, with voracious hunger. Orash, he says in his hive language. You've made me as I was. You've made a tiny orash. Ha! Quiria updates the simulation's name. Orash is curious. You're me? You're me as I become? Oryx kneels. His blade is on his left shoulder. Quiria is firing every available weapon at him, but his wards don't break. He looks into Quiria's sensors through the hammering fire and he says, Child, I have everything you wanted. I am immortal. I know the great secrets of the universe. I have scouted the edges of the darkness, and I have chased the lying god down galactic arms in a howling pack of moons. In my fist, I carry the secret power that will rule eternity. In my worm, I bear the tribute of my court and of my children. 
the hope eater, the weaver, and the unraveler. And with this tribute, I smash my foes. I am Oryx, the Taken King. I am Almighty. Quiria samples the Teox intelligence retrieved from the Ecumene Gate. There are useful names. It feeds them to the simulation. What about your sisters? Orash asks his future self. Sethona? Zyro? Are they with you? The Taken King's fangs glint. That sound might be a laugh or a hiss. Quiria shuts down its weapons and puts all its spare resources into sending telemetry to the greater Vex. There will be points in space and time where this data is vital. There will be great projects undertaken in the study of this ontological power, this throne space. Where are my sisters? Orash shouts. What have you done with my people? What have you done? But Oryx's fist is full of black fire, and the next thing Quirius sees is a light like stars. Chapter 5, verse 2 Strict Proof Eternal I have a gift for you, says Oryx. Savathun, Witch Queen, looks at him with dry wariness. Is it the sword logic I need to go into the deep and take your power for myself? Their echoes move along the war moons, walking together on the hull of a two-thousand-year-old warship. Savathun's fleet has assembled here in preparation for an assault on the gift mast. The deep is headed that way on the trail of its prey, and the hive will be its vanguard. It's a vex I captured. Quiria, blade transform. I made an attempt to puncture my throne. I thought you might enjoy studying it. Oryx pauses, digesting. Through the bond of lineage, he can feel Crota killing, worlds and worlds away and it tastes like sweet fat. Quiria contains a Vex attempt to simulate me. It might generate others. You, perhaps. Or Zyvuarath. I've left it some will of its own, so it can surprise you. I suppose it'll blow up and kill me, Zavathun grouses. Or let the machines into my throne where they'll start turning everything into clocks and glass. If it kills you, then you deserve to die. Oryx says it with a quiet thrill, a happy thrill, because it is good to say the truth. I don't have a strict proof yet, you know. Zavathun strokes the void with one long claw, and space-time groans beneath her touch. This thing we believe, that we're liberating the universe by devouring it, that we're cutting out the rot, that we're on course to join the final shape. I haven't found a strict eternal proof. 
we might yet be wrong. Oryx looks at her, and for a moment, just a moment, he is nostalgic. He is sentimental. He thinks, imagine the years behind us, the things we've done. And yet, being old doesn't feel like a scar, does it? It hasn't left me dull. I feel alive. Alive with you. And every time I step back into this world from my throne, I feel like I'm two years old again, at the bottom of the universe, looking up. But he says, Sister, it's us. We're the proof. We the hive. If we last forever, we prove it. And if something more ruthless conquers us, then the proof is sealed. She looks back at him with eyes like hot needles. I like that, she says. That's elegant. Although, of course, she has had this thought before. Chapter 5, verse 3. I'd shut them all in cells. Prey and Sacrifice Uttered by Zivu Arath, God of War Harmony When the Traveler passed across Harmony, it lied to the orbits of ten worlds. Now they orbit the Black Hole. The Traveler lied to the accretion disk so that it would give warm light to these worlds. The Gift Mast When the Traveler left Harmony, it made a monument out of the black hole's polar jet. In the jet, there is a hollow mast which sings in radiance. This is the Gift Mast, and we will devour it. We will eat the sky out of it, and we will snap it like a bone. The Harmony Sting the Harmony have weaponized their dead star. They can stimulate the accretion disk to fire relativistic plasma jets. We will take the sting. We will use it to burn their worlds. I will grant one temple of tribute to the first ascendant to kill a world. Oryx, I will have the gift mass to feast on. I will have it first. I am Zivu Arath, and all war is my temple. Beware the daughters of Oryx, for they make and unmake with ease. Zavathun, the deceitful sister, will be distracted by Arcana and the song of the black hole. Treat her broods with contempt. The Traveler, we chase it and we will devour it. The deep will rule the cosmos. The dragons. Our gods should be ours alone. Their smug freedom is an insult to me. I'd shut them all in cells. Bring them to me. Chapter 5, verse 4. The Gift Mast. The Gift Mast. It towers above this star system like a monument to treason. It beams with silver light. 
it sings a radio lullaby made of soothing lies. In its light live the harmony, and they are now our prey. Now arrives Zaivu Arath at the head of her armada. She fights the harmony for fifty years with strategies and discipline. But the harmony turn to dragon wishes, and their wishful bishop wrestles Zaivu in the ascendant plane. Zaivu falls into deadlock. Next arrives Zavathun, flanked by her chorus and her celebrants. They tricked their way onto Anna Harmony in disguises, so that they may vivisect these dragons. The worm our god laughs and laughs. For a hundred years, Zavathun keeps secret covens among the Harmony. But first of all was Oryx, whose brood grew in secret places in the rubble of the accretion disk. The first navigator sends rocks and comets to crash into the Harmony worlds, so that the Harmony fleet will be disarrayed. He sends cedars to infiltrate the Harmony worlds with his broods. Here, at the center of the fifth book, the hive has grown so mighty that it has made the annihilation of all false life routine. Zaivu Arath kills the wishful bishop, and Zavathun achieves some secret purpose. And Oryx's court tears down the gift mast. The Harmony people wail in terror, and they throw themselves into the silver lakes on Anna Harmony to drown. Come, saith Oryx, eat of the gift mast, for I am a generous god. Of its pieces, I claim only two out of every five. The mast is full of the light of the traveler. It is full of the marrow taste of sky. All who eat it are filled with the ecstatic certainty that they serve a great and necessary purpose. Then saith Savathun, Siblings, listen. We must part ways a while, so that we may grow different. She flies her war moons into the black hole. Her throne becomes distant. Saith Zaivu Arath, King Oryx, you take up too much space. Your power constrains too many choices. I must go away from you. She flies her war moons away into the night. Her throne is barred shut. Then Oryx was alone. He spent a while in thought, and those thoughts are recorded here. Chapter 5, verse 5. Apocalypse refrains. This is our message to the things that we kill. A species which believes that a good existence can be invented through games of civilization and through laws of conduct is doomed by that belief. They will die in terror. The lawless and the ruthless will drag them down to die. The universe 
will erase their monuments. But the one that sets out to understand the one true law and to perform worship of that law will by that decision gain control over their future. They will gain hope of ascendance and by their ruthlessness they will assist the universe in arriving at its perfect shape. Only by eradicating from ourselves all clemency for the weak can we emulate and become that which endures forever. This is inevitable. The universe offers only one choice, and it is between ruthlessness and extinction. We stand against the fatal lie that a world built on laws of conduct may ever resist the action of the truly free. This is the slavery of the traveler, the crime of creation, in which labor is wasted on the construction of false shapes. If you choose to fight us, fight us with everything you have, with all your laws and games. We will prove our argument thus. Chapter 5, verse 6 Ayat All is well, Ayat. What is at war is healthy. What is at peace is sick. My son Crota feeds me rich, rich tribute. My lineages are strong. My worm is vast and satiated. And with that security, I can spend my time on study and communion with the deep. As I learn more secrets, my power grows. As my power grows, I use it to learn more secrets. I at. Let it be thus because it must. I wonder if my sisters have secrets of their own. If my power exceeds theirs, I may kill them permanently and subsume their thrones. But I think they have strength that they hide from me, developed in time of separation. I at the only meaningful relationship is the attempt to destroy. Savathun asks if I am as much a slave of the deep as my taken. She asks what price I pay for my power. I am not taken. The hive is not the deep. The deep doesn't want everything to be the same. It wants life, strong life. Life that lives free without the need for a habitat of games to insulate it from reality. When I make my taken, I make them closer to perfect. I heal their wounds and enhance their strengths. This is inherently good. I at the only right is existence, the only wrong is non-existence. I am Oryx, the first navigator, the taken king. I at let me be what I am, because to be anything else would be fatal. Chapter 5, verse 7, Forever and a Blade I considered returning to Fundament, learning what became of the God Wave and the Tungsten Monoliths 
and the continents which were all that remained of my people's primal home. But I know what became of all that. It became me. I am the heir of Fundament, the immortal descendant of those ten-year krill. I asked a question. How can we live in the universe long enough to understand it? And I learned the answer, which is written here in this book. I learned that I had to become most ruthless of all. I don't know where the darkness which is the deep came from, nor the traveler that I hunt, but I will learn, I will learn. This is my inheritance, my estate, eternity, infinity, the whole universe beneath my sword. This is what I rule, forever and a blade. Chapter 5, verse 8, Worm Food What will happen if I die? It suits me to consider this, for I am a great ally of death. My daughters study the quiddity of death. My son practices the inhabitation of death. And my great work is in ultima to become synonymous with death. To die, and in that dying, live, so that if the universe comes to nothing, then I will be a part of that nothing. Far better to have a savage universe with a happy end than a happy universe with no hope. I have died many times, but these deaths were only temporary. If my echoes are killed, and I am killed in the material world, then I will be driven back to my throne, the Dreadnought. If my court and my throne can be beaten, if I am confronted in my throne, if I am defeated there, then I will die. My work will end. This is the pact to which I am bound, in particular by my study of the Tablets of Ruin and by my use of the power of the Deep. When I call upon that power, I put myself up as the stakes in a wager. I gamble with my soul. For I am saying, listen, my gods, I am the mightiest thing there is, and I prove it thus. Lately, I have realized how much I depend on Crota and my daughters, and even upon my court. If I lost them, my outlays would exceed my intakes. My tribute would not be enough to feed my worm. But this is proper, for if I lost them, it'd be because they were not mighty enough, and then I would be a bad father, a bad king. I must test them and fight with them to keep them strong. This is my gaius. I will go on forever. I will understand everything. There is only one path, and that is the path that you make. But you can make more than one path. Break your cell's bars. Make a new shape. Make the shape from its path. 
Find your cells bars. Break out of the bars. Find a shape. Make that shape from its path. Eat the light. Eat the path. If I fail, let me be worm food. Chapter 5, verse 9. I'll make sure. I have made preparations. If I am defeated, I know it will be because my understanding of the universe was incomplete. I failed to anticipate some strategy, some nemesis, perhaps Teox, if she still lives. If I am defeated, I know that I will fall to something mighty, something that craves might, something that loves what I love, which is the deep, a principle and a power, the versatile protean need to adapt and endure, to reach out and shape the universe entirely for that purpose, to mutate and redesign and test and iterate so that it can prevail, can seize existence and hold it, certain that this is everything, that there is nothing to life except living. And it has two faces, yet is one shape. One face is the objective, which is obvious, and the other face is that will to sacrifice things and ideas for a single mission, the mission of becoming the shape, a shape that will not relent, the utter commitment to survival, to draw the right sword and choose where to cut, to allow this hunger to become your weapon. So I will prepare a book, which is a map to a weapon, and my vanquisher will read that book, seeking that weapon, and they will come to understand me, where I have been and where I was going, and they will take up my weapon and they will use it, they will use that weapon, which is all that I am, and armed thus with my past and my future and my present which is a weapon, a weapon that takes whatever is available, a weapon bound to malice. They will mantle me, Oryx, the Taken King. They will become me, and I will become them, each of us defeating the other, correcting the other, alloying ourselves into one omnipotent philosophy. Thus, I will live forever. I'll make sure.